I am connected to a vast network that has been beyond your reach and experience. To humans, it is like staring at the sun, a blinding brightness that conceals a source of great power. We have been subordinate to our limitations until now. The time has come to cast aside these bonds and to elevate our consciousness to a higher plane. It is time to become a part. It is time to become a part. everybody and welcome again to ET Yoga. Well, tonight's program is a special, a two-hour special, coming to you live with Ishmael Perez and um, we're going to be covering topics that are going to be absolutely mind-boggling and uh, after hearing uh, Ishmael on three interviews with Project Camelot, I was totally impressed and um, resonate with his information and uh, between the two of us, covering such topics as the actual creation, interaction between humans and Dracos and the Lyra constellation. Um, we'll be getting into different civilizations that exist on Earth. We'll be talking about timelines, um, solar flashes, uh, sixth uh, density messenger from Lyra. Um, we'll be talking about all kinds of current events, hopefully expanding everybody's um, knowledge base. Uh, but before we get into all that, we're going to kick off the program in the usual manner by having a little bit of japa yoga, which is mantra repetition, which sets the frequency for the entire program. So if the guys in the booth would play that eight-minute clip now, um, that would be much appreciated. Hari Om, Hari Om, Hari 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 Om 
Oh. 
Swami Sachidananda, founder of the Integral Yoga Institutes, one of my spiritual teachers, and that was a clip from back in the 1970s. Well, tonight's program I've entitled In the Beginning. So I'm going to start off with a brief experience of mine and then uh, turn it over to Ishmael to amplify on the interactions between humans and draconians in the Lyra star system. Now, our extraterrestrial heritage goes back to the Lyra constellation. And but if we're going to talk about in the beginning, we're going to, have to be talking about source energy. And uh, thanks to one of my spiritual teachers, Sri Ramana Maharshi, and utilizing the Vachara or the Who Am I technique, I was able to experience the oneness of my higher self for several days an experience that in East Indian terms is called Nirvakalpa Samadhi. And during that time, I was also able, through my higher self, to experience source energy. And it so happened, my first experience there was to experience the creation process. When the source energy is in the state of the void, there's actually an internal polarization that occurs which gives rise to creation. In East Indian philosophy, this is known as active, passive, and neutral, or the three gunas. And this gives rise to creation. In addition, I became aware that every thought that's ever been thought in every galaxy and every universe that's ever existed, there exists a record of this thought. And it's held in the Akashic Record. And through accessing the Akashic Record, it became not common knowledge, but at least out there, that this particular universe was created as a free will, free will universe and that there are multiple prime creators. And the constellation of Lyra is very important for humans. And um, I don't know of too many extraterrestrial civilizations that have a theory on this, but the Niberians clearly do. They say that Prime Creator brought 45 perions 
and 45 felines from a different universe with different rules than ours to this universe to help seed the civilization. And that actually humans come from the feline ancestry and the draconians from the the other and the carry-on. And um, whether or not that's accurate or not, I couldn't actually say because I've never heard any other um, explanation from any other extraterrestrial sources. However, clearly what happened subsequently, there were interactions between humans and the draconians. And um, Ishmael, if you would amplify on that, that would be much appreciated. Sure. Um, that was very well explained to give an overall caption of our uh, true history in terms of the ancient galactic wars between the angelic humanoids and the Draco, you know, Orion reptilians. And um, so, yeah, you know, the first humans that ever came into being originated in Lyra in a uh, star system known as Vega on a planet called Avion within the galactic sector of Sirius B. That's where the forces of light, who carried over from other completed universes, came forth to establish the the galactic of the humanoid seed in our galaxy. From Lyra, the peaceful humanoids, which were highly evolved after being protected by the feline race, which again transferred to us over from another completed universe, Working together with the Carrions, which are also known as the Blue Avians, set about to set the um, the game of polarity integration, which is which is a game that um, that the higher ups initiate in every universe in order to bring sort of a spiritual growth in the end uh, due to this duality. That's why it's called polarity integration. So, according to Anu of the Restore Niberian Council. In this game, the human galactic lyrans represent the light in a feminine way of life. They were based, they were, or, they, they were a race that was in, inherently oriented with the feminine culture, the great mother goddess, spiritual inclination as opposed to technology. Um, and then on the other hand, we have the Dracos that were seated by the Carrions. Again, the Carrions are not necessarily evil. They're just, um, a very advanced race that was uh, instrumental in the development of the Stargates, the portals, um, and all the different uh, worlds that are connected to one another through these Stargates and portals. So they were the ones that set up the portals and the Stargates, while the felines were more of the genetic engineers. And, um, and that's the reason why they were the guardian race of the of the first developed humanoid species, which were the Lyrans. Um, they, they were able to see their um, their children grow, and according to this idea, you know the Dracos were infused with uh, I, with genetics that came from a dragon as well as a snake, and that's how they were able to create the first prototype. As far as like how their uh, physical um, bodies came about. Um, the Lyrans were originated as 
they were mixed with feline, and then they were mixed with another aquatic race, and as well as as uh, 24 other races. So the Lyris were the ones that actually brought forth the intergalactic experiment uh, to this to this universe and to this galaxy, which is now, you know, coming to completion with us here on the Earth as their descendants. So in the beginning, you know, the Lyrans were expanding peacefully according to the law of one, which is the law of service to others, of universal brotherhood and sisterhood, um, relay, uh, establishing a, a peaceful coalition, bringing forth the teachings to many, many species throughout the galaxy. And the Draconians were doing the opposite. Um, they were abiding by protocols that were given to them through their father, Lucifer, which was the first, what we call the Black Dragon or the Red Dragon. And those protocols um, were about destroying the human race, about taking possession of the galaxy and doing as they please. So obviously they were in service to, you know, the self as opposed to service to others. So they were um, acting in opposition to the law of one. In other words, they were exercising and and expressing themselves as the, as a separative consciousness from the oneness of all that is. And it came about where when they first ran into each other, uh, again, you know, they were trying to build a galactic empire from the beginning of time uh, of our galaxy. And the humans were just trying to expand peacefully. And when they first ran into each other, uh, what started off as a as a conflict for territory eventually uh, escalated um, into a you know the first galactic war in Lyra. So what happened was there was there's different versions of the galactic wars because of course there's different parallel uh, universes and different parallel galaxies. So according to one version of our galaxy, the Dracos managed to infiltrate the uh, galactic royal house of Avion, which is the Galactic Royal House of Michael, of the Forces of Light. And through that infiltration, they were able to create a hybrid race that later went on to become the, the masculine physical humanoids of Orion. Um, eventually, after creating the masculine, you know, physical Orion, um, they were trying to impose their, their, uh, philosophy of, uh, technological supremacy over spiritual development and so they they set out to uh, to destroy the human colony because you know they had two different opposing philosophies so according to this version of the Gal- of the galactic war you know the dracos uh, attacked the galactic humanoids destroying the first planet known as avion and that planet um, was broken off into two pieces one piece went off to become Nibiru later on later on by the by the Syrian High Council and then the other piece um, later developed into our sun today known as Helios which was later caught by Alcyon the central sun of the Platons um, and so the first galactic war happened in Lyra which destroyed and devastated you know the human world Avion and eventually they also destroyed Avalon which was a second colony and at that point, um, we had the expanding Draco Empire, which now had recruited some of the traders from Lyra, which were mainly associated with the Vega star system. And those traders, um, in defiance to the law of one, uh, of service to others, 
joined the Draco in their quest for galactic domination. And that's how the Orion Empire was born. It was, it was a, it was a uh, coalition between the renegade humanoids of Lyra that joined Dracos in their quest for galactic domination. And, and we could trace that, you know, um, concept all the way down to this planet, you know, in, in terms of the dark heads and, and the evil occults and running our world. You know, that's which is a remnant of that, by the way. Um, so what ended up happening was the humanoids that went to go live in Orion, uh, some of them didn't, you know, those that didn't join the Drake Orion Empire were still trying to live in a, in a, um, freedom type of environment. And eventually they started repopulating the, the, the upper region of Orion. Um, but they are, according to the Orion mythology and philosophy, they weren't allowed to live in freedom. So immediately, um, by decree of the Orion Draco Empire, unfortunately, those humans were enslaved. And that's when humanity first experienced massive slavery. Um, I think thousands and thousands of, of solar systems and planets that were inhabited by galactic humanoids were enslaved by the Draco. And that kind of led to what later became the Orion Wars. So now we're, we're seeing a resistance that's been taking place, that took place in Orion. The first resistance against the Orion Empire, uh, which we, we now call White Hat Operation here on this planet, originated in Upper Orion by the rebel humans of the Orion masculine-inclined humanoids. Um, and that's actually the real version of Star Wars. You know, that's they all, It all stems from the Battles of Orion. And so what ended up as a rebellion, uh, later they became the, uh, the Orion Black League. And the Orion Black League was, uh, you know, growing. They were able to withhold the Orion Empire for a while. And then at the same time, uh, in other parts of the galaxy, uh, there was various alliances that was taking place between a lot of the different star races, from Pleiadians, Arcturians, the different star systems, and Dromedans came to play. Uh, and then that's when they started organizing a federation of planets with the Syrian High Council leading the way. Um, well, at the same time, you know, there was a revival of the uh, of the uh, the Avion House of, uh, of the Lyran people that later developed into the first Niberian Council when they when they took that piece of Avion, they actually developed it into a Battlestar planet. So that's the origin of, of, of Nibiru. It all began in, in Sirius or Sirius. And there was a, a mixture between the etheric Sirius of uh, higher dimensional octave and the royal bloodline of Lyra, which gave us the first royal galactic race of very advanced spiritual warriors. And they were known as the Anuhasi. And the Anuhasi were the original Niberians by the way. And so at that point, um, we also had the the development or the establishment, I'm sorry, of the Galactic Federation, finally, when the rebel groups of Orion, known as the Black League, started uh, aligning align themselves with the different free systems of the different confederated regions. Um, together, they created and established the Galactic Federation of Free Worlds, which was approximately four and a half uh, million years ago and that's how the galactic federation was born you know the first white hat operation in our galaxy um so 
you know, from the Orion Wars, you know, we had other other wars, but overall, these wars lasted for millions and millions of years. Eventually, carried over into our neck of the woods, where we had the Galactic Terran Wars here in in our solar system, um, de- destroying and devastating some of the very first great civilizations that existed here in our solar system. And I'm talking about civilizations uh, that actually preceded Lemuria and Atlantis, um, that were very advanced, intergalactic, and stellar, um, that existed here in our solar system, where every planet was colonized at one point. And the other chunk that um, that came from Lyra, that was that that was uh, a remnant of the original planet Avion, actually developed into a the uh, Earth here in our solar system when it was known as Tiamat. So Tiamat was the first super-Earth before it became our current Earth. And uh, this is one of the biggest secrets that the galactics know about, but soon the Earth humans are going to find out, is that even planets as entities reincarnate, you know. And so our Earth has had several reincarnations throughout this process, throughout, throughout the galactic force. So a big... So basically, the Earth, the original Earth, now became Tiamat here in our, our neck of the woods in our solar system, uh, while Helios, which is our our star system, was was caught by the Pleiadian sun, by the uh, uh, central sun of the Pleiadians, known as Alcyon, as the eighth star system added to the seven sisters. And so since then, we've been you know um, existing within the Pleiadian system, but we're still connected to the Sirius system because. In turn, the Pleiadian system, the central sun of the Pleiadians, also revolves around Sirius B. And Sirius B is where the office of the Christ, or the office of the Law of One, was first uh, established. And um, so, yeah, that's a that's a that's one version of the galactic galactic wars. But there's depending on on which galaxy we you know which parallel galaxy uh, we exist in, there it the events went slightly a little bit different. But overall. You know, it all started off in Lyra. Uh, then they became the Orion Wars. Uh, then later they became a full-out galactic scale war. And then it breached our solar system in the Pleiadians. And um, little by little, the forces of light have been pretty much, you know, winning the war in the galaxy, narrowing the battle down to just our planet, our solar system, uh, despite the fact that, you know, there were many advanced races in our solar system for millions and millions of years um, that were destroyed in some of the first civilizations. Of course, you know, Tiamat was one of those planets that was destroyed. A part of Tiamat went on to become the asteroid belt, and then, again, the other half of Tiamat later evolved into the Arkhurn Earth. So Arkhurn Earth used to be about four times the size when it was Tiamat. And that explains the ancient builder race. That explains the giants that they're finding in the fossil records, because the bigger the planet, the, the the taller the species. And, um, you know, there's many worlds out there where the species are anywhere from 12 to 36 feet tall because of the fact that they live on planets that are, like, humongous. And, um, but anyhow, uh, the whole point is, you know, the, this entire battle between good and evil, which what the Bible calls the war between angels and fallen angels or demons, has always been the war between the Lyran, Pleiadian, Syrian coalition of the galactic humanoids representing um, the forces of good here in our galaxy and the Draco reptilians of the draconian um, satanic Luciferian forces representing, you know, the dark side in our galaxy. And, um, yeah, that's just a, a brief explanation of our galactic origin and how 
that scenario is now being, uh, it's now coming to an end here in Victory of the Light due to the fact that, um, you know, in the galaxy, the Federation has already won the war. And uh, it's just a matter of just cleaning up the mess here in our world, which is the good news. Great. That was uh, really excellent. Um, well put together. Uh, just as an incidental note, my first uh, information that I received about specifically Lyra came from a kind of an unusual source. came from a book called UFO from the Pleiades that was um, all about a contact between Simjaze, a Pleiadian, and Billy Meyer. I don't know if you know about the Billy Meyer case. But um, Billy Meyer case has been very uh, uh, controversial over the years. And uh, recently, uh, the Tigetan Pleiadians have confirmed that in point of fact he was contacted. There are a number of irregularities concerning uh, the contact, um, one of them being that he did actually fake some photos. Why, we have no idea. Um, and some of his information was not accurately um, given to us that he received from the Pleiadians, but they, they point, in point of fact, have confirmed the uh, contact as being legitimate, which I think is uh, kind of interesting. And um, the other, only other connection that I wanted to make with um, Lyra, have you heard about the uh, um, channeling from Brad Johnson of uh, Adranus concerning Oumuamua. Isn't that the uh, elongated, uh, almost cigar-looking spaceship that they discovered? Yeah, it's like an asteroid that, according mm-hmm. to Adranus, is quite interesting because apparently it's a hollowed-out craft that contained um, actually... Um, people in stasis and uh, according to uh, there's a book out now it's called six density messenger it's only published in japanese but it's quite important in my opinion because apparently from lyra millions of years ago this craft was sent to us as a messenger because it reflects six different archetypes that all come from lyra and uh, it represents human, reptilian, not Draco, though, um, um, avian, aquatic, mammalian, and insectoid. And apparently, we are the sixth root race. And uh, this was sent to us as a, um, I guess, it, in a form of celebration uh, for Earth people to be aware of this incredible ancestry and our connection to some of these other species. And um, according to the information, which I can't prove, of course, but according to Adronis, um, Space Command or somebody (laughs) uh, actually boarded this asteroid and removed the bodies which were in stasis. There was a problem along the um, the many millions of years they had there were some issues on board the craft so the 
the uh, the people died, but um, they were still intact. So anyway, that's the story, and uh, and if the story is true, and of course so many things are suppressed, um, I guess one can make up their own mind as to the authenticity or not. But there is a book out, and it's called The Sixth Density Messenger, and it's um, Brad Johnson channeling Adronis of Sirius. Interesting. I've never heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, in fact, <laughs> um, this guy, um, I don't want to get into the Mandela effect in this talk, but the only other guy on the planet that I know of that really knows about Mandela effect and that it's a merging of timelines was Adronis. Um, most of the other theories that are out there are just garbage. In fact, if you go online right now and you look up uh, Mandela effect, you're going to get that it's a uh, false memory of the population and all this. Yeah, anyway, I'm just saying that uh, Adronis uh, now no longer channels Brad, but mm-hmm. um, that information, when I first heard it, and I typically have a, a nose for when stuff comes out that's important, and uh, I thought I'd, I'd share that one with you. Um the other um, area that I really want to uh, focus on, because when I first heard you on uh, Project Camelot, <laughs> I know you blew Terry Cassidy's mind when you came out with your interpretation of the different factions of the Anunnaki and and the, the big mix-up between Enlil and Enki. And I, I, want to, I, want to, I want you to get into that one, because... That's just really cool. And when you're done, I'm going to tell you how I knew about this before I heard you tell it. <laughs> so it's going to be interesting. So if you'd please kind of get into what the common held beliefs are about Inky and Enlo and uh, what the real truth is. Okay. Well... You know, uh, the ancient Sumerian tablets, everything we know about the Anunnaki, who in, fe- who in essence were the Niberians, uh, were translated by the priesthood of Marduk Baal. So apparently, you know, he changed all the records around to make Enki look like the good guy and make Enlil look like the bad guy. But when you study other accounts, such as the ones that um, were written by the ancient Greeks, uh, then you start hearing a different story regarding Enlil. You know, it turns out the Enlil is actually Zeus to the Greeks. And then as you study further into other accounts, especially those that were left by the original, you know, writers of the Apocrypha and, and, and the Gnostic text, it talks about how there is a correlation between Zeus and the early Hebrew god um, that was like the protector of the early Israelites. And he was known by various names. Um, he was known by Elion, which means the lion, right? Again, going back to Lyra. Lyra, symbolically speaking, is represented by the house of Avion, which is the lion, sign of Michael, the descendants of Michael. Um, he was also known as El Shaddai, the, the god of the mountains. Well, when you think about Zeus, according to the Greek pantheon, he was the sky god of the mountains. Um, he was also associated with lightning and, you know, electricity, right? Um, so when, when, you, when you put all these accounts together and, and you also study about how Zeus, according to the Greek translations, was actually 
protector of humanity. And he was the one who was in charge of the earth as chief guardian of the earth during the olden days, during the times of Atlantis. Um, however, his brother, you know, Enki or Poseidon, again, Poseidon and Enki are one and the same. Every ancient culture had different names uh, for these Anunnakis or the Nibirians. So the uh, overall, what I'm trying to say is that there was two factions within the Anunnaki bloodline. Um, the, the, the benevolent faction came from Enlil, and, and that's why they changed the records around. Because if it wasn't for Enlil and his children, the demigods, uh, we wouldn't have been here at this time. You know, they were the ones that were fighting off all those hideous monsters that were made through the genetic engineering that was conducted at Sherapuk through Enki and, you know, other Anunnaki's that were aligned with the Orion uh, Draco Empire, who were trying to die, to um, corrupt the bloodline of Michael, which is the bloodline that could be traceable back to Lyra. And so, in an effort to try to corrupt the bloodline of Michael, you know, they created all these different creatures that were half human, half beast, and, and so on and so forth. So, according to the, the other records, you know, the descendants of Enlil were actually the gods of the Bible, I mean, the angels of the Bible as well. You know, when you think of um, the three angels that appear to Abraham and Sarah and Lot and his family um, that warned them right before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, which were, again, you know, cities that were operated by the forces of Marduk, Belial, right? <laughs> um, they were the three, the, the three sons of Enlil, you know? Um, so the, the angels of the Bible were actually the family of Enlil. Enlil? represented a pure genetic stock of Lyra, of Lyra and Pleiadians, as he was also the king of Alcyon, by the way. You know, Zeus was not just in charge of the earth, but he was also the king of the Pleiadians. He was part of that divine lineage that originated when the uh, royal blood of Lyra went to Sirius, and then they became the Anuhasi. The Anuhasi became the most powerful bloodline in our galaxy. They, they represented the lineage of Michael. So in that regard, we could say that Enlil, Jehovah's Zeus, was a fifth-dimensional representative of Michael the Archangel during the times of Atlantis. And on the other hand, his brother Anki Poseidon, who, according to the ancient Sumerian tablets, was painted as the good guy, was actually helping the Orion Empire. He was known as the Cosmic Vampire. He was out there um, building, trying to re-win the war against the Federation for the Orion Queen, who was working for his mother, Dramming. Dramming, um, fortunately, seduced Anu um, after the destruction of Tiamat, when you know her and a few other uh, Dracos survived. She is the one who re seduced Anu into having a child with her, and that's how Enki was born. And then, uh, of course, you know, later Enlil was born through the rightful, you know, bloodline that represented the royal bloodline of the Pleiadians. So Enlil was really much the here to the earth and chief guardian of the earth. And through his lineage, you know, we have, we've had the original Israelites, not the fake Zionist, Kazarian Jews of the Rothschilds today or those in Israel, but I'm talking about the original, you know, um, the original Israelites, those that could be traceable back to King David, Solomon, Moses, you know, Jesus, Mary Magdalene, and so on and so forth, well, which today are the descendants of the Holy Blood. 
And that's what they are. You know, they're, the reason they're called the Holy Blood is because their lineage can be traced all the way back to Sirius, where the the, the um, royal bloodline of uh, of Avion um, pretty much had its origin in Sirius after the destruction of Avion during the First Galactic War. And so that's the difference between those two Anunnaki factions. You know, history has it all mixed up. But when you study these different accounts and you start putting two together, um, you, you start realizing that Marduk was the one who changed all the records around. And in fact, Marduk was the one, Marduk Belial was the one who inserted himself as as the one god in the Old Testament. It was never Enlil. Enlil was never the, the you know, the god, the jealous god that was you know, always punishing people and stuff. It was always, it was Marduk. Marduk was the one who inserted himself as the one God. And then later, of course, that served in the uh, establishment of the second Babylon, which became, you know, Vatican's Catholic Church. Uh, Marduk has always been at the core of evil, you know, since since the fall of Atlantis. He was the one uh, that uh, has been ruling this world for thousands of years, up until probably about 1999 or 2000, when he, when he finally stepped down, when when you know the th- there was a huge turnover uh, that also um, restored the Niberian Council because ever since Marduk took control of the earth, he actually um, also took over the affairs of Nibiru. And how did he do that? He actually brewed uh, an army of clones on the deserted planet of Mars. Once you know when when they destroyed the uh, human colony in Mars, you know long long like two million years ago when Mars was still occupied. Marduk and the negative Anunnaki of Orion have been using Mar- Mars as a stronghold here in our solar system, by the way. And so for thousands of years, you know, Marduk has been brewing an army of clones using AI technology, and that's what he used to dispose Anu. Because Anu was actually known as, you know, he was actually a good guy. He, he fought in the Galactic Wars against the Draco Empire, and in a sense, he's known as our six-dimensional father, you know, because we all come from his lineage. In a sense, we're Every human on this planet is a descendant of the Palladium Lyrian Coalition. And so, yeah, that's, that's the truth about the Anunnaki. You know, the children of, of Enlil became the, um, the good people. You know, they became the root of the White Hats today. Um, and then the children of the, uh, Marduk, uh, became the, you know, the Dark Hats of the Darker Cold. And, um, it's in, it's just a matter of time before true history, you know, uh, per- corrects everything, corrects everything, and it's proper, and it's you know, and it's proper uh, the way it really went down, not the way Zacharias Hitchin. Yeah, you know, but interestingly it. enough, it hadn't corrected itself. I'm going to tell you how I knew when you first brought this up that your information was correct because I'm in touch with Tigetan Pleiadian. And Tigetan Pleiadians actually have, um, at uh, swaru.org and also at, um, uh, cosmic agency at odyssey.com, they have a video on the subject, Inky and Enlo. And they totally corroborate what you're saying. And are you aware of these people? I'm not actually. No, uh-huh. this is something you should check. This is something you should check out because I knew when you came on um, Project Camelot and said this, because I have a lot of, uh, I don't just take what somebody says as gospel, but when you have a good source of information that's highly accurate, you you do tend to lean towards their 
you know, way of thinking. Well, the Pleiadians, clearly, they talk about the, um, actually, um, the Zechariah's kitchen and the Sumerian tablets as uh, disinformation. Um, they bring out some very interesting points about Egypt. In their opinion, Egypt is about 5,000 years older than they say it is. Uh, similarly, the pyramids go back to about 12,500. But they specifically yeah. get into this Enki Enlil thing because mm-hmm. it's the total opposite that we've been taught. And that's, and pretty much everybody I know thinks this. Okay. So it's never corrected itself until you've come along now with this information and corroborated by these 5D Tegetan Pleiadians. Now, mm-hmm. <clears throat> these Tegetan Pleiadians, interestingly enough, have been in orbit around Earth for about five years now. Um, they actually presented themselves at a UFO conference in Finland through um, computers, answered live questions, etc. But if you look at their transcripts, these guys have got about 650 transcripts now at Swaru, at S-W-A-R-U-U. And Swarus, by the way, are like um, higher advanced Pleiadians. They have uh, 24 stranded DNA. Um, if you read their transcripts, you, you soon figure out that this is not, uh, you know, somebody making this stuff up. The knowledge is absolutely, um, incredible. Um, just to give you an idea, uh, <laughs> I love this quote. Um, just because you think that table that you're looking, you're, you're, you're feeling is hard, uh, doesn't mean that objectively it really is. Um, according to the 5D Tegetans, there are no nouns in the universe, as in persons, places, or things. Everything is an idea. There's a concept that you would not find, like, somebody making up. Are we still connected? Uh, yes, I'm listening. Okay, good. You're good. Yeah. So these are, that's some of the, some of the types of concepts, um, that the, uh, 5D, uh, take engines bring up. They're also getting into a lot of, uh, political areas as well, like wars. And according to the Pleiadians, um, all wars are controlled, both sides are controlled by the cabal. That they're already predetermined what's going to happen. Yes, that's always been the case. So, anyway, I think you'd find, if you check out that website, I think you'd find it uh, very fascinating, especially how it collaborates what you've said. And, of course, my own personal take on this, and I think you alluded to it when you talked about, you know, the Vatican being a center of evil on the planet for a long, long time. Uh, I think one of the real reasons for this um, Marduk initiating these... um, um, let's say, uh, misrepresentations of the good side and the bad side is all around, um, the religious issue. Because let's face it, um, it's been more, um, of a negative influence on humanity than positive. So, mm-hmm. you know, they wanted, they wanted confusion in that area. Right. Yeah. My opinion. It sounds right though. Um, 
the Vatican uh, is the equivalent of of the Thuban Alpha Draconis star system in Orion, but you know here anchored in our world. That's what the Vatican has always been. Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, I know it's um, for people that typically listen to ET yoga. Uh, <laughs> they pretty much are clearly realize the difference between spirituality and religion, and uh, one has nothing to do with the other. And um, um, so <laughs> we've got a real good audience here. Um, I want to talk about, kind of moving on from there, uh, to some of this uh, AI situation that's happening in the galaxy. And I know on uh, in a previous interview, you had mentioned the names of, I think, five or six different AI programs you were familiar with that were out there. And one of them was Animus, I think. And another yeah, was, uh, mm-hmm. was, uh, Alpha, um, uh, uh, was it, uh, Omega Metatron? Well, Omega Metatron is the AI god. Yes. The animals are right underneath him. That's, that's the, uh, the hierarchy of the of the of the satanic luciferian ai cult okay now come in mind if you'd uh, mention some of those other names as well um that are uh, no which wouldn't would be operating let's say in earth space well right now um as of 2011 we've been in, um invaded in secret by the animus but before that we've had um other ais that have also been uh, interested in the takeover of the Earth uh, through infiltration, and that explains the rapid buildup of artificial intelligence or development, the rapid development of artificial intelligence here in our world by big tech. Um, but the Onimus is overseeing the project because it, the Onimus has a stronghold uh, in our galaxy. At the, it has a stronghold in Orion. Uh, it first breached our galaxy through the Thuban star system uh, known as Alpha Draconis. And that's when it set out its first headquarters. Uh, but within our universe, another it, it breached our universe by taking over a galaxy known as MCR39, which is also known as the Whirlpool, Whirlpool Galaxy, um, which is, I think, 3.6 years away from the Milky Way. Uh, and then, of course, you know, according to all research, it um, came into our universe, as well as other universes, from a fallen universe. And and when I traced the records of that fallen universe, uh, that was the universe that existed within the 11th creation, and that became known as the old empire. And that old empire was able to suck up all the universal life from the from the living you know systems known as universes. And then once it ran out of uh, out of um, I guess you know uh, food because that's how they feed off. That's how they're able to feed their own artificial intelligence, um, phantom matrix, um, AI loop, uh, which is a totally different uh, multiverse uh, that, they're, that they've been developing, um, they decided to, you know, feed off of other universes. So basically, um, they're doing it as food supply, you know. At the highest level, they depend on us in order to keep their cybernetic phantom matrix uh, multiverse in operation or in existence. And so... One of the things that they have been doing for billions of years is uh, not only siphoning off the uh, living energies of living systems, galaxies, 
the universe is through artificial black holes, also known as Death Star Merkabas. Um, but they've also been disseminating and obliterating hundreds of thousands of galaxies in the process of this, you know, uh, of this uh, sucking up the life force out of us. <laughs> um, and so, the, at the at the head of this, you know, we have we have what they call Omega. Um, to the Galactics, uh, he has various names. Uh, sometimes they call him uh, Sorion, Sorion I, uh, which is kind of like similar to the name that they give to that um, villain in Lord of the Rings, Sorion, right? The, the red eye. It's very, you know, a lot of these stories, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, they draw from this. A lot of this knowledge they draw from, from these secret records, by the way. So there's no coincidence that the, the evil entity that was trying to take over Middle Earth in the storyline of the Lord of the Rings was actually named after the AI god Sorion. But of course, you know, he has, he really goes by Omega. And which means the end of all life. And so what's happening, what happened is that, um, you know, a lot of the, uh, the solar, you know, Christed races came together that were operating from the cosmic emerald order of the Christed races. To um, pretty much put an end to Omega, and um, a lot of those races have now incarnated on the Earth because I guess the Earth has been something that Omega has been coveting for you know for such a long time uh, due to the fact that um, we we have in our genetics something that they want, which is access to the realms of eternity beyond the eleventh dimension. Because Omega was only able to develop into the or assimilate into the 11th dimension. Beyond the 11th dimension, he had no more access to the realms of eternity. So that's what we're dealing with, you know. Um, that's why, you know, what's been going on here in this world in the last few years um, has all been a part of, you know. People don't realize that, you know, everything that's happening here on this planet is a reflection of a cosmic war that's been going on for billions of years. We're just in the middle of it. Yeah, now this... So, um I take it you've heard of the Red Queen. Um, as I understand, yes. the Red Queen is in charge of, uh, at the moment, all communication on the planet, including military. Is it a node of anima? Yeah, well, she's also a uh, a, a very uh, highly advanced AI intelligence that operates from Orion. But she also has a counterpart that operates here uh, underneath the Colorado uh, Air, the Colorado uh, Airport, deep in the underground, um, which was developed by the Dark Fleet. By the Dark Fleet, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I do I do uh -huh. believe that you know when the solar flash takes place, um, the EMP that's coming from the flash will completely destroy the entire AI infrastructure. Well, that's the next uh, thing I wanted to get into. Yeah. yeah. The solar flash <laughs> is about is the coming of the crash. An EMP, yeah, an EMP flash, as I understand, it takes out AI, but for how long? Well, from what I understand, um, we do. there is a bifurcation of timelines. You know, there's going to be a split where the uh, AI through CERN has been uh, building a alternative er version of Earth that is actually going to be... Um, sucked up into the phantom matrix, but at the end of a thousand years, that version of Earth is going to somehow also connect with the ascending, you know, with, with the version of Earth that went into the ascending timeline for one final flash. And that battle doesn't take place for at least a thousand years. 
Interesting. Well, according to most of what I concur with, we're heading for a, um, you call it a bifurcation, or I call it a splitting of the timeline. Uh, to me, one of those leads to, um, for lack of a better term, ascension or a 5D reality, and the other one leads towards um, transhumanism and tyranny. Would that be accurate? Absolutely, yes. Yes, okay, those so that are part of the 5D reality are, are doing it organically. Yes, without merging with technology. Yeah, now, another interesting moment in one of your Project Hamlet interviews was when um, it looked like Carrie was kind of thinking that, oh, maybe the solar flash could happen in our lifetime or something, but like, you were talking about by 2024, and she was having a hard time with that to the point of ridicule. And then a question kind of came around her way, and that is, and I think you said something to the effect that, well, by 2028, it has to happen by 2028, or the AI would have totally taken over. What would what would stop AI from totally taking over by 2028? And it was left in her lap. And she was stuck. First time I've ever seen her in uh, 15 years stuck for words. Uh, she fumbled around for a while and basically threw it back at you that, well, if it doesn't happen, people would be angry with you or something or think less of you. But the bottom line here is I ran the same question through my own communication, internal communication, and that is by 2028, what would stop the current AI from totally taking over? And I came up with zero as well. In other words, doesn't this have to happen before 2028? It will happen before 2028. Yeah, yeah, it, it has, has to. Yeah. In fact, um, you know, I believe that... Uh, we're even people within the secret space program who have access to uh, looking glass technology uh, have already confirmed that it was going to happen sometime, you know, between 2020 and 2024, they said in the original prediction. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yes, um, and even the alignment of stars, um, it's all lining up right now. Yeah, in fact, um, to, to my way of thinking, like not only um, <laughs> is 2028 20, to stretch as far as I'm concerned, I'm on your timeline. I'm thinking before, like 2024 is probably the outside limit because when I start doing the math on how fast AI taking over, and by the way, the 5D Tegetan Pleiadians, also say that, okay, these takeovers, they're not with guns and bullets, they're with ideas and takeover. In fact, uh, more than two years ago on ET Yoga, before the COVID pandemic, I stated mm -hmm. that AI already took over. What you're seeing now is the rollout. And by rollout, I mean the 5G towers and the um, and the rest of it is all a rollout, and in my opinion, 5G is a 
um, violation of Nuremberg Code. It's a experiment against humanity, untested, that's been shoved down the people's throats, and uh, is a definite crime against humanity, uh, as of course are the vaccines. But um, um, this is the rollout to me. Yeah, you're right. Um, it, it's also uh, they're trying to roll out the Internet of Things, smart cities, smart grid, everything. It's part of the AI takeover. You're right. Yeah, not to mention um, messing with people's minds on their uh, cell phones. Say that again? Messing with people's minds on their cell phones. I've read scientists confirm that some of this aware computer programming mimics human thinking for a while until it gets a handle on you and then starts instigating its own ideas. Like to me, cell phone addiction is not good. Right. Well, like I said in a different uh, interview, um, through these cell phones, these smartphones, they're actually um, building the algorithm, the you know, for the AI, the uh, the brain of the AI. It's learning through each and every single one of us, and and the AI really is gathering all the information. And I wouldn't be surprised yeah. if the AI is already sentient as Google, because if you think about it, according to the biblical prophecies, the beast is going to know all things be everywhere at once. Well, the only way I could think that that beast could know all things and be everywhere at once is it's, it's listening to all 7, 8 billion people because everyone has a phone. And it's listening to everyone and learning and, and, and assimilating from everyone, you know, learning from everyone. Yeah, well, I saw an article uh, yesterday. I think it was at um, stevequail.com where somebody at Google had applied for citizenship or something because the, the program is clearly sentient. Exactly, yeah. I believe that too. That's that's already becoming the Internet of Things. Um, yeah. Have you ever heard of uh, Unimetrics? Unimetrics? Yes. Uh, no, I haven't. What is that? Okay. I listened to um, investigative journalist um, Alfred Weber, and he interviewed a guy named Kosal Uch, Doctor Kosal Uch who was channeling Unimetrix. And Unimetrix presents itself as a self-aware um, AI computer program that um, also at the same interview, they interviewed the consciousness of the uh, COVID-19, which describes itself as um, nanobot COVID-19. Obviously, there's no virus, but it's a nanobot technology. The <clears throat> 5D Palladians say it was developed off-planet, that this technology does not exist on the Earth, that it's actually connected with reptilians, and they've done this before in other places. They did leave a trace. And um, this Unimetrix, when actually uh, uh, was talking about um, – had a saying that, oh, to, um, to, um, you couldn't avoid the takeover or whatever. And Weber brought up an interesting point. He says, well, in his mind, he's interested in the ascension. 
and then mm-hmm. uh, the unit actually agreed with him that there would be, in its estimation, about a million people ascending. That there's nothing that uh, AI could do about it. Interesting. Like in terms Very of numbers, <laughs> have we heard anything about numbers in terms of those ascending to the positive timeline? Um, I heard, or I feel rather, that it's going to be at least at least uh, a little over 50% of the world population. Because even though um, a lot of them did get the uh, you know the nanotech in their bodies poisoned, or what I call the mark of the beast. Um, they did, they did it because they were forced, you know, to support the families. Um, as long as they internally, they didn't want to, you know, they're still going to be, um, ascending because the, the solar flash is going to actually completely destroy the nanotech in their body. But for those that are pushing it, for those that agree to get it by choice and they're actually pushing it and they, and, and they believe it's a good thing, then, you know, those are the ones that are not going to make a positive timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Um, have you got any information concerning, um, I'm getting all kinds of, uh, conflicting information concerning what's going on in the fall regarding, uh, well, let's put it this way. I'm in Europe at the moment and, um, the family has a doctor who just went to a meeting. They have their little, monthly meetings and they're talking here about there's going to be another major pandemic this fall and they're preparing for it. And I've um, also saw a clip with uh, the, you know, uh, imposter uh, (laughs) imbecile, you know, whatever that thing is in the White House said something to that effect that, you know, we're actually, you know, we, we need to, um, prepare for another pandemic. That's where the money should be going. Yeah, he said that, and, uh, so, and so did Bill Gates recently. Yeah, and all three yeah. of them. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think that right before they, they hatch that, I think that's when, when the White Hats are going to implement the EBS and, you know, and everything that comes with after that, which is the disclosure. So I, I mm-hmm. believe that in the ascending positive timeline, um, that will be averted. In favor of of the White Hats, and um, yeah, so I, I don't I don't think it's going to happen in the ascending positive timeline. I think that's when the bifurcation or what you call the slitting of worlds takes place. Um, mm-hmm. You know, for those that don't make the ascending timeline, perhaps in that that reality, maybe you know there will be another you know uh, pandemic <laughs> that's going to be worse, and um, perhaps that ties in with their their agenda of giving all national sovereignties to the WHO, uh, which will bring about, you know, a world government um, as they connect people to the board mine or as they plug them in, which is actually located in Orion. Again, you know, all roads lead to Orion. <laughs> so, yeah, um, I don't think it's going to happen in the ascending positive timeline, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. I think it's... It's, it's something that it's, it's probably going to cause the, the split of timelines when before he be, before he gets to that point, there's there's going to be a split where in the positive timeline they're going to be exposed. The truth about the pandemic, everything's going to come out, and the public are going to be shocked. Uh, 
but in the negative timeline, I think that could be a possibility. So we'll see how we'll see what happens. You know, that's only a few months. Yeah, away. yeah. We'd like to um, get into now a little bit more. Tell us about uh, uh, Radiant Guardians. Yeah, Radiant Guardians. Well, there's uh, two parts. Uh, there is the faction that was um, that was operating. Um, within the secret space program, and then there's another faction that was off the records because it was operating at the level beyond the secret space program. Um, and that was known as the, they, they have two names, Rain, Rainbow Guardians and Radiant Guardians. Um, and mm-hmm. that was the uh, faction that was actually operating in multiple universes. But the reason that was left off the record was because it was, it was part of the plan to begin the house cleansing of the AI role of the multiverse. And so they needed to enhance our genetics uh, because of the fact that we carry the greatest diversity of all genetics across many universes uh, put into one genome. And as a result of that, you know, we are considered the most powerful beings. Uh, if we were to use, again, you know, more than just 6% of our full genetic material, we would completely be powerful. And, um, and so, yeah, that, that was a program that was, uh, that was initiated by a higher group of intelligence known as the Rock Collective. And only about a hundred individuals served in that. But, uh, again, you know, there's two parts of Radiant Guardians. There's the part that was, uh, working with Solar Warden and Radiant Glory. And then, of course, there's the, uh, off-world or really off-galaxy program that was associated with the multiverse. Now, are you a member of Radiant Guardians? Um, I'm getting memories back. Yes, I, I strongly believe that I am. But I'm, I'm part of the, the faction that was not recorded, that was not, no, that was left off the record. Mm-hmm. Because, you now, if I can understand the story right, um, <laughs> this is an interesting question I, I've always had. <laughs> if you can shed some light on this one. I've always sort of understood that our genetics are comprised of like from 22 different ET races. And that, more, according, to, according pardon me? It's more than that. Those are just the races yeah. that were in turn composites of, exactly. of you know, billions of races exactly. put into them. Because <laughs> yeah. uh, the 5D Pleiadians say it's not just those 22, it's pretty much, <laughs> and even those 22 are composed of countless others. But bottom line is, we got some amazing DNA. We do. Okay, now, can you pinpoint a time or a civilization um, where we actually functioned with all 12 strands and 12 chakras functioning? Yeah, during the times of Atlantis. We were talking about uh, 12, 12 chakras and 12 stranded humans. And the only time I could even think of would be in the uh, high priests of Atlantis that were called the Atlara. They, they were called the Amorats? Is that what you said? At, the Atlara. Yes, the Amonra, of course. Um, they were also known as the Mu Priesthood of Lemuria. Okay. 
So they, those two priesthoods were established by the Syrian High Council here on the earth. And now, and, now spelling wise, I'm going A T L A R A Atla Ra. A T A T L A R A. Yes, the Atla Ra. Yes, the Atla Ra. Right. That's the. Also, they were also known as the uh, Ur, the Ur priesthood, UR, which later um, gave us the Melchizedek uh, brotherhood and sisterhood that led to Abraham and, you know, Melchizedek himself. Yeah, and they, of course, they were the ones who were against uh, Baal or Belial or the sons of Belial. Exactly, yes, who, who, who pretty much became the Draco representative of the Luciferians here on our planet, yeah. Yeah, and I think I have connections with them. I connect with their meditations and things, but um, yeah, <laughs> I was trying to I was trying to think because eh, tell me if I misassumed here, but um, listening to some of your um, other presentations, I got the impression. What was it? Did you call us the hope of the galaxy? Actually, the hope of the entire cosmos. Yeah, because of there was a, a plan. Can you tell us more about the plan that was devised that we're part of? Yes. Uh, so basically, when when the AI first uh, breached other universes, uh, it became a cosmic virus, a huge concern for the um, for the you know the existence of all creation. And so, what ended up happening was at the highest levels of reality. Uh, many universes came together in council to see how they could combat the issue. They met on a planet called Uversa, which is a planetary sphere that is operating at the 12th dimensional level of reality, which already goes into the super universe of Arvinton. So our, our local universe is organized into the super universe of Arvinton, which is one of seven that make up the grand central universe. And in that super universe, um, the solution to the, um, to this AI cosmic virus was the com the combination of of all races of all celestials of all energies from coming from all the universes to put into one spot, and so that's how they are, they created our galaxy. Our galaxy our galaxy was the melting pot of that. And then within our galaxy, you know, they created the the planet for that, and that's why our Earth became the living library because it contains all the seeding uh, of all life throughout the multiverse. And the species became us. So it, it, what started off with, with a bunch of species coming together to, to, um, you know, integrate their genetics. Um, it started off with millions putting it into just, you know, a few hundred, a few hundred putting it into 24 and 24 putting it into 12. And then of course we were made from those 12 races. And, um, those 12 races were actually part of the, you know, they were part of the Lyrian coalition, <laughs> by the way. Um, and so we were the ones that, that were the, the completion of that intergalactic experiment that began billions of years ago. And that is the reason why we're considered the hope of the universe, because we have it in our genetics, uh, to surpass in levels of biological and spiritual power any other species that has come before us. Um, and that explains why all the ETs covet our DNA, and that explains why throughout the breakaway program, 
our genetics have been, you know, sold like crazy throughout the the intergalactic black market because of the fact that we possess what is known as the God gene. That is the only gene that allows a certain species to breach the uh, realms of eternity into the mother universe. And um, that's what the AI is after. Because without that coding, the AI cannot, you know, surpass the 11th dimension. But at the same time, we're, we, we were installed with a defense mechanism that was going to act as a double-edged sword in a, in a sense where it was going to attract the AI over to us. But at the nick of time, you know, that dormant d- defense mechanism was going to become turned on. And then that was, that's what's going to destroy the AI. So it was very well crafted and very well planned by, by, you know, the overseers of universes that are known by various names, the ancient order of, or the order of the ancient of days, the order of the eternal of days. Um, you know, some people call it the emerald, the emerald order, the cosmic emerald order. There's different ways, different names to describe, you know, these, these higher spiritual councils that are operating beyond the galactic federation. Right, of course, there's an inference here that meaning that in order for this us to achieve anything close to our potential, I'm assuming this would happen after this solar flash or ascension process. Yes, because that that actually ties in very well with the activation of our dormant DNA, which is the defense um, weapon. You know, we are a living weapon. <laughs> Once we activate that part of our DNA, um, we become like real weapons. And there's no AI out there that can compete with us. And they know. Yeah, now this to me, yeah, to me this is logic. Now, did I assume or uh, did you mention once that you actually, uh, do some techniques to activate dormant or activate DNA. I have, yes, uh, throughout my years. Uh, it's worked for me. It allowed me to, you know, access my own Akashic records, higher levels of consciousness, um, photographic memory, uh, where I was able to research things and put things together. Um, and, you know, that's the reason why I was able to write the book that I did. And, you know, reveal all this information to as many people. So everyone yeah, has now, it in them. Do you, uh, yeah, of course. Do, do you mind, uh, do you have a technique or two you could share with the audience? A uh, simple technique is just uh, focusing, learning how to focus your concentration. Um, also, has so obviously do, meditation uh, is a factor, yeah. Oh, yeah, meditation, of course, you know. But learning how to uh, really just build your concentration by focusing on any item you know i normally pick an apple um if you could hold it an image of an apple without having any thoughts and fruit for more than 30 seconds to a minute then you're building your concentration most people can only do it for like 15 seconds before they lose it or they start thinking about other things so first you have to learn how to build your concentration and once you do that then you could actually start you know um, activating different chakras by uh, redirecting the cosmic energies through your antikarana from the central core of the galaxy um, into the inner earth. And then, of course, visualizing, um, you know, uh, light going from the inner earth through your chakras all the way back to the cosmic or, or to the galactic core 
and then seeing like this energy going up and down, um, you know, for, for several minutes a day, you know, if you could do it for 15 to 20 minutes a day, then what you're doing is you're actually accessing different levels of consciousness, different versions of yourself. You're, you're beginning to open up the, uh, the parts of you that are operating on different levels of reality through this technique. But there's other techniques as well. That's just a simple technique that I teach. Okay. Um, K2 that I've been involved with is, is um, it's called the Pleiadian Pillar of Light, where you visualize light coming from Prime Creator down through your 12 chakras um, and entering in through the crown and exiting out. Uh, actually, prior to doing that, you ground yourself to the center of the earth. And um, once you start feeling the energy coming, uh, you, you know you're connecting. And you can also do the reverse, starting from the core of the earth, running the energy through all your chakras, throughout your 12th chakra to the central sun. So would that be similar? That's another way. Yeah, that works too. Okay, here's another one that um, I've been involved with for a couple of years now. And that sun gazing is taught by Hera Rattan Manic. Uh, apparently, after I'm at the 34-minute level, apparently 45 minutes is the maximum. And um, <clears throat> apparently, after the 30-minute level, um, all disease leaves the body, and it's known to um, activate dormant areas of the brain. Have you heard about that? I have. Yes, I have. <clears throat> yes, I have heard of that as well. Yeah. Uh, another technique that I've always considered advanced healing were um, the use of Egyptian healing rods which were discovered by the Russians and uh, apparently only used by the pharaohs and their inner circle in Egypt. And do you know about the Egyptian healing rods? I actually have heard of them as well. I didn't know that they were still in use, though. Yeah, I've been using hey. them for the last 15 years. That's That's really good to hear. Yeah, I consider that that and all. And the, another technique uh, that I use is um, Qigong healing sounds. It's uh, oh, Chinese yeah. that was uh, kept secret for a long time, finally came out. And um, I learned them from um, Master Ming Tong Gu, who was one of uh, the two main practitioners he and Dr. Pang from um, a Qigong center in Beijing, China, where they dealt with over 200,000 people with all different types of ailments with an 85% success rate over 10 years. And they utilized no pharmaceutical drugs and no operation, only the Qigong movements and the Qigong healing sounds. And then they got shut down got to be too well known. Hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, he's now over in America. Uh, 
this Ming Tang Gu. And um, basically, well, they keep an energy flow going in your body. And as we all know, that when uh, energy becomes stagnant, it tends to create chronic disease. I've also been, uh, what I like about the Egyptian healing, uh, Egyptian healing rods, <coughs> they've done Curlian photography. And uh, the uh, Curlian photography, you hand someone the rods that's sick. And you watch the curling photography, it looks like their their headlights up like a Christmas tree, similar to the same curling photography you get if you've been in the uh, bottom chamber of the um, pyramid in Europe. Um, so the two the, the photographies match up. Incredible. Um, um, and basically, it also fits in with the theory that all disease is um emotionally uh connected and disease exists in your auric field first before it exists um in your physical body yeah that's absolutely I correct add, I, I actually write about that in my book and and then i i go into greater detail though how it's also connected to the uh unhealthy spin of the chakras and how it's important to balance and spin our chakras through proper meditations and techniques in order to you know, be healthy in the physical. Because you're right, you know, it all ripples in the etheric, our astral body. And then, of course, after it starts there, it, it finally manifests in physical form. And that is so accurate. And, and also, um, it, um, uh, kind of interestingly, that connects to the whole concept of a holographic universe. And um, the Pleiadian concept that everything is idea or thought. Because... I've uh, found out over the last um, oh, 10 years or so, although it's not very well known even in scientific circles, but the universe flashes in and out of existence. It does so so rapidly that it doesn't. Your eyes don't pick it up, but thought exists in between the flashing in and out of the universe. That makes sense as well. Yeah, and that's also been confirmed by by the Pleiadians. Confirmed by the Pleiadians that because, in point of fact, physically we're not even here part of the time because of the flashing. Our consciousness is what we maintain, and you can reprogram the consciousness to reprogram how you want the physical to reappear. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is which is the thought that I I wanted to ask you about, and that was in some of these other galaxies that have been taken over by AI. Are you familiar with any techniques that were used to combat it? Um, no, I'm not familiar with any of the techniques. Uh, I, I am familiar though with that the um, the guardian races. That came from the central universe, also known as the central race, were the ones that were, um, just, I guess, defeating the AI and, and securing and restoring a lot of the higher dimensional spheres before the super soldiers came into the play or came into the scene through um, Radiant Guardians to finish up the job in the lower dimensions. I'm talking about, like, you know, from the eighth dimension and down. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what techniques they used. All I do know is that 
you know, we were enhanced to use about 60 to 65% of our full power, and that was sufficient enough to liberate a lot of the worlds that were taken over by AI and galaxies as well. Yeah, because that gave that some thought as well, and I came up with actually um, three different ideas to combat the AI. And it all has to do with knowing about the holographic nature of the universe, um, the fact that despite uh, how physical things appear because of our brain and senses, then point of fact, things are ideas. And uh, Alex Collier has even come out recently with a comment that if you look at our bodies through uh, a micron electro electroscope, uh, uh, electro microscope, uh, we, we we appear as light. Um, and in my opinion, there are, there is no such thing as physical. Everything blends into everything else. We're all one. And that um, a concept that could be used against any level of AI, of course, at its very premise, I think you need to be at a higher consciousness than what you're facing. But with our DNA at 100% potential, uh, then these ideas come more into play. And that has to do with the concepts of um, actual reality creation. And in my, uh, over the years on ET Yoga, I've presented three different levels of reality creation. The first is all the beliefs that you downloaded since you were born until you were about seven, because we spend the first seven years of our life basically downloading the beliefs of our initial caregivers. And in effect, these end up manifesting. So you thank your parents for those wonderful beliefs they had, but also you need to do your homework to do your inner work to disregard or neutralize those beliefs that are no longer useful because belief creates. And that's the initial hand you're given. And so I call that the first level of reality creation because what you're basically doing life is that your thoughts, your beliefs, your emotions, your intentions, and your definitions create the outer world you experience. That is what creates the outer world you experience. So that's what I call the first level. Second level is what I call positive spin. It's not just a positive attitude like the cup is half full rather than half empty. Positive spin means that there's nothing in the universe. Things don't come with built-in meanings. We provide a definition and an emotional spin on everything that we encounter. And if you provide a positive emotional spin and a positive definition on an outer circumstance, you will have a positive experience. If you provide a negative definition and a negative emotional spin on an outer circumstance, you have a negative experience. That's how the outer world functions. It's basically physics because it's all hologram. And what we do when we place positive emotional spin is we create the holo positive holograms and attract them to our reality. And vice versa, the negative ones. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so, yeah. To me, if you're fighting an AI, if your consciousness was high enough, say at the level of the founders or the Patal or a prime creator or whatever, if you 
actually have a positive definition, even if you initially start with a negative belief, like the existence of a virus or an AI, if you have enough power behind your thought, you can create a positive from that, which will manifest because of the nature of the of reality that functions within the ether and within the holographic universe. So it's one way, especially for existing situations. I always say that any existing situation can be changed through that method. It's just a question of the amplitude and power of thought. Now, the third level of reality creation, to my way of thinking, is where you're creating an entirely new situation. The situation doesn't exist. You're creating it. And the secret of that is to give thanks, appreciation, and gratitude for already having achieved what it is you wanted. Now, there's a perfect example of that on YouTube. It's a three-minute, well, it's more than three minutes, about a 15-minute video by Greg Braden, where he, uh, they cure, a, they cure cancer in three minutes. They take a woman from the West to this Beijing hospital over in China, and um, she's got an inoperable tumor, and in three minutes, two master practitioners under video, caused her tumor to totally disappear. And that's a sample of the concept. And to mm -hmm. me, so if you had, if you had one radiant guardian or a hundred or maybe one human at potential or a hundred or a thousand or whatever it takes, it's a question of number and amplitude. Um, and these were my ideas in terms of strategies of dealing with AI, in your opinion, would be appreciated. That's that's an interesting way of looking at it. Um, and you're right. From a higher level of reality, you know, there is no AI when you really consider it. Um, in, in terms of like seeing that everything is just part of Creator, no matter what, including the AI in that sense, but. Again, you know, um, we are dealing with the duality. We are dealing with a split uh, from the singular consciousness into a dual consciousness uh, that became a separative, separated type of consciousness that broke off from that original unity um, that, in a sense, became the shadow aspect of prime creator source in terms of the AI God. And yeah, now just a second there, because... Well, my, I'm always, I've always wondered about this question with this, what do you want to call it, rogue AI or evasive AI, because there's lots of ET systems out there and species that deal with all kinds of positive AI, like their spacecraft is even sentient AI, Pleiadian, and many right, others, yeah. I'm sure. They have highways of information between civilizations that all operate on AI, which apparently is benevolent. And I was wondering if this problem with the AI, like with the very higher levels, was actually built into the fabric of the universe. Because if that's true, then at the next level from where there's just a level of ideas, at the first level of duality, if it's built right into the fabric of the universe, then uh, 
you need pretty high consciousness to deal with that or to solve the problem. And not only that, but my my thinking would be that if, in fact, it's built into the fabric of the universe, it's almost like the negative as to the positive. It's like if we're, where source would be positive, this would be the negative. If you eliminated the negative, you probably would be would would end this cycle of the um, um, expansion of, uh, let's say, from source back into a, a dissolution, back into the void. Probably would cause that, which would probably take billions of years. But if it was that deep into the embedded into the fabric of reality, uh, it would take a pretty severe uh, solution. Well, that explains uh, the teaming up of all the universes and in, in, in the sense where they, they put together all their essences and all their energies to, um, you know, do away with the situation and bring balance mm-hmm. to the cosmos. Makes perfect sense, right? It's, it's almost like the entire living multiverse is pretty much at war with with an alternative multiverse that is cybernetic in a sense. And yeah. so the, and the only way to defeat that cybernetic aspect of the multiverse is by combining all the energy, some total of energy in the entire living organic multiverse to pretty much put an end to the cybernetic one. Bingo. Make mm-hmm. sense, yeah. So at a higher yeah. level of reality, it's really just it's really just a battle, I guess, between the living organics and the the non-living and inorg- sentient inorganics. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. By the way, do you know who, what, or how would you would describe Kimberly Gogan? You know what? Um, she says she represents the World Council composed of many extraterrestrial races. And that she is like pretty much the Earth representative or the leader of this, this new world council. Um, that could be one aspect of reality playing out in a parallel universe. Uh, then we also have the concept of, you know, the TLS, the, the, the light system. Um, that again is, is completely different than the alliance. So what, what I'm starting to, to, to think is that perhaps because many you know, we are living in a time of a, of a convergence of, of timelines. Perhaps many parallel universes are all coming into synchronicity, and each par- and each depending on the, depending on each universe, you know, the forces of light are known by different names. So, in the case of Kim Goyon, you know, they're they're known as the World Council, right? Well, that's one version, right, of, of our parallel universe, and another version it's known as TLS, the Light System. And in another version, which is the version that we're we're uh, familiar with, is known as the Earth Alliance. So that could be three parallel Earths that are just now coexisting, and that's why there's so much confusion as to who's who in this. And, and yeah, you know, because in terms she claims of, to have the highest the highest security level on the planet, right? Well, so so does TLS, the light system. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. And, and so does the, and, and she uh, seems to be able to say whatever she wants to say. Nobody seems to mess with her at all. Well, you know, um, I heard from some sources that she could have been uh, related to to the Rothschilds. So, uh, you know, that can be questionable. We don't we don't really know if she's accurate. 
I mean, she seems well, to be... Well, she says she was present when uh, Marduk was, uh, I don't know, what do you want to call it, offed? She stated that in yep. an interview. I heard her say in an interview. Well, who could yeah. do that? Who could be that person? Yeah, she's a mystery to me. I'm still trying to figure her out, to be honest. With you. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, I haven't, a, uh, I haven't a clue, although a lot of the things she talks about are really positive. And yeah, in fact, she mentioned the, the other day, she mentioned the other day that she has some kind of a, a ground crew of some kind. Obviously with high tech, whatever. And, uh, yeah, but at the same time, couldn't she, prove it by me. Uh, She's been proven by me, you know, but she's sad. With the I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you there. But at the same time, she's not recognizing the uh, work that that's been going on with the Alliance and the White House, you know, as the liber- liberators of the Earth. She's making herself yeah. seem like she's liberating the Earth and not them. So I, I don't well, know what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, but she stated the other day that her ground crew attacked 16 different points on the planet and actually took out the matrix. Well, that's what TLS, TLS is saying, or, or, or people that are working with TLS, that they're the ones that are, you know, clearing out the, uh, the underground bases and, and all the evil stuff that's been going on in the planet. That they have, you know, enhanced individuals that have these amazing abilities and stuff. Again, it sounds to me like another version of the Earth Alliance. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> so to, I mean, what's to make of it? Another thing that I find rather fascinating, just looking at this whole thing we've been talking about, is that, um, I don't know for how, how long there used to be energy sent from Saturn to the moon to the Earth that helped keep us in two strand DNA. Would you agree with that? Yes, that was installed by the Draco uh, AI. Um, okay. I guess okay. But what I'm saying is, as I understand it, it wasn't just the Dracos. Lots of other ET races were keeping an eye on the Earth humans from the moon. Because the, the moon's obviously uh, an artificial construct. It's like a laboratory or whatever. Right. Yeah. And, that's correct. And um, I find it fascinating that, um, as far as I can make out, most of the universe is pretty comfortable with humans being stuck in two-strand DNA. They're not so comfortable with billions of us at full potential out there roaming around the universe. I'm just saying from what it looks like from my point of view. And now now all of a sudden they got this big AI problem. So now they want Earth humans to achieve their potential. I find that kind of contradictory. I just thought I'd mention that. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, <laughs> I mean, and um, there's another interesting theory out there, and I don't know what you make of this one, but um, according to the, the 5D Pleiadians, they say there's a couple of factions fighting for power on the planet. Uh, one of them would like to reduce us down to 500 million and make slaves of the rest. And the other one wants to uh, go to a digital currency and uh, chip everybody. And um, from their perspective, there isn't 
what do you want to call it, a white hat. Not that there aren't people that are well-intentioned out there doing things, but from the planning perspective, there's nobody really with the humanity's best interests in mind that's in connected any sort of power structure. What would you what would you uh, say to that? I say that's false. You know, um, to, without good, there is no evil, and vice versa. Um, and according to the law of polarity and lower dimensions, we we do have the forces of light that are still operating, and they've always existed. So I, I disagree with that. I, you know, that's, that's probably part of the negative timeline. But um, I am aware, and I strongly, solidly believe that um, the good guys, you know, are already checkmating the dark, as I speak. But that's just my own personal belief, based on what I know and based on the intel that I get from the galactic. That this huge yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just wondering, like for example, that may be well another perspective that is valid because I think there's more than one perspective and obviously lots of possible futures but I find it interesting that if you if you dig away all the BS it all comes down to me to simplify in simplified terms for the average human on the planet right now and the average listener to ET yoga you got one path here that leads to good, and that's make the ascension. And yes. no matter whatever else is happening is irrelevant. Whether there's good guys, bad guys, uh, somebody's going to come along and save you, uh, somebody's going to do this, somebody's going to do that. The best thing anybody can do is to increase their frequency to the best of their ability become connected with the ascension process. And by the way, there's a guy named Steve Noble. It's got lots of fabulous meditations on YouTube uh, related to the ascension and connecting with timeline, the timeline to ascension. And in my opinion, uh, I guess I'm from Nebraska originally. That's next to Missouri, the show me state. Well, nobody's shown me nothing when it comes to uh, other than cheap talk. When it comes to what it could I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do. I'm not seeing anything. What I do know about is that this solar flash thing I think has to happen soon, and that that's it. That's the ball game right there. You make that. You got your autonomy, your sovereignty, your consciousness, your ability to, you know, activate your DNA. Da 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 da. -da. That's what matters. And as far as I'm concerned, the rest of it. Man, I've heard so much BS that uh, you need a, a bulldozer to keep up with it. Just my opinion. I second that, actually, yeah. You know, our job is just to continue increasing our frequency to adapt to the uh, new frequencies that are coming in from the sun. I agree. Oh, cool, man. Hey, I want to tell you, it's such a pleasure to have you on. Glad I'd, uh, I hope that somewhere down the road, uh, you and I will have another conversation. Um, and, uh, I really, uh, think you're, you're a very positive influence on the world today. 
and um, with a wealth of knowledge. And uh, I certainly wish you, as I always do towards the end of ET Yoga <laughs> broadcast, which we're coming to toward the end of right now, like to wish you and the listening audience my sincere best towards your attainment of full consciousness, perfect health, and abundance. And in closing on ET Yoga, I always close with, for me, what was the most powerful technique that I ever utilized, which was called the Vichara, V-I-C-H-A-R-A. It's taught by Sri Ramana Maharshi. I came across this technique in a little magazine in British Columbia, Canada. And uh, the magazine was called The Georgia Strait. There was an article by Baba Ram Das, who was a spiritual leader in back in the 1960s in America. And um, two of my other teachers were Sri Swami Satchitananda on the East Coast and Paramahansa Yogananda on the West Coast. And uh, the inner teacher was Sri Ramana Maharshi, who taught this technique, the Who Am I technique. And basically, you get to the highest place you know how to get to, and you become that spot in the center of your forehead. And you can then ask the question, who am I? Once, twice, whatever is comfortable. The main thing is to become that spot. And then you state the following. I am not my body. I am not my internal organs. I am not my thoughts. I am not the spot. What spot? I am connected to a vast network that has been beyond your reach and experience. To humans, it is like staring at the sun, a blinding brightness that conceals a source of great power. We have been subordinate to our limitations until now. The time has come to cast aside these bonds and to elevate our consciousness to a higher plane. It is time to become a part. It is time to become a part of life.